0: the the words of your your scriptures into our consciousness Lord you are the one who grants us repentance Lord you are the one who helps us to overcome you are the one who sanctifies us through your word so Holy Spirit we pray that you would work in hearts this morning Lord that, that you would Shine your light into the dark places, into the things that, that people have, sins that, that may have never told anyone about, but sins that you know about. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us all to put off every form of, of sin, especially sexual immorality, as we talked about it this morning, and to put on thanksgiving. Lord, help us to be a thankful people. Lord, I pray that, that you would work by your Spirit in your church this morning. We, we pray that for, with confidence because we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. you <coughs> remember having birthday parties when you were a child? For some of us that was a relatively long time ago, but, but some of us even have, have kids at home and, and so we, we see these things happening in front of them. But, but I remember several of my own birthday parties vividly. For, for weeks, I would be be thinking about my, my birthday and, and the, the party that was coming up, and, and I would, would make a list um, in my mind of the people that I, that I wanted to, to come. And I would also make a list of the presents that I wanted. i especially make a list of the presents. My mom would, would bake a special cake, and, and I would get to, to lick the bowl and the beaters. And then my friends, Would arrive one by one, and and each one would have a card and a present, and the presents would be carefully placed in a safe location, and then we would go and play. But but my mind would never drift too far away from the presents. We have a tasty dinner. It's usually um, Pillsbury wiener wraps. And um, heads up, you have a couple people. If, if you don't know, what I'm talking about you missing out. We can talk about it afterwards. But but as much as 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 I love those wraps, what I was looking forward to was something that was yet to come. And after dinner, everybody would sing happy birthday to you, and then we would would have cake. And and I was still thinking about those presents. But then after dinner, we would we would I would choose a present out of the, the pile and. I would dutifully read the card, probably very quickly, and then open the present. And then I would be, if it was something other than clothes, I would be excited, just ecstatic about whatever this was that I'd received for a moment, and then I would quickly move on to the next present, and the next one, and the next one after that. Of course, I I would say thank you to each person for what they'd given me, but by the time I moved on to the next present, I wasn't even thinking about the previous person or the previous present anymore. Can you relate to that? And and some of us are are still like that. It's not just the kids that that don't stay thankful for long. Think about the the car that you drove here in this morning. Now think about when you first drove that car off the lot. And how excited you were about this car. I mean, some people um, have have clunkers, and that's a great thing. If If you... if you're not not um, motivated by by having a, a nice car, but but just think about how excited you were about that car when you first got it. What did you think about your car in the same way now? It was just a car. Just just how you get around. You know, or maybe even think about about your house. Think about when you first bought your house and that that first time that you put that that key in the lock and walked across the threshold into into your home it was now your home but do you still give thanks for your home do you still give do you still think about the giver do you still think about the one who gave you that home you know i I think as, as, we, as we talk about this issue of, of sexual purity and, and fighting against sexual morality, I, I really, i got to say, I don't think that thanksgiving would necessarily be the first thing that I would think of to enlist in the fight against this battle. You'd probably think that Paul would, would really be, not talking about thanksgiving, but, but purity or something along those lines. But, but thanksgiving is exactly what's needed in this fight. It's exactly what's needed in this fight. And we'll see why when we get there. In Ephesians 5, verses 3 to 6, the Apostle Paul is continuing to tell us to put off sinful behavior and to put on righteous behavior. He's continuing to tell us why. But hear me on this. Do not make the mistake of thinking that the Apostle Paul here is talking about how you can earn your salvation. He's not talking about earning your salvation. Remember, the the first three chapters of Ephesians were were all about the the blessing of salvation that we have received in Christ as a free gift of God's grace. Chapters 1 to 3. And then in chapters 4 to 6, the Apostle Paul is talking about how we practically walk in that. He's telling us about, about how those who are saved are to strive to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. He's talking about how we, we put off the old life that is corrupt through deceitful desires and renewed in the spirit of our minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what he was talking about there um, in, in the, the, towards the end of, of chapter 4. But this morning, he's talking about how we are to put off sexual immorality and to put on thankfulness. And then he tells us why. So first of all, put off sexual immorality. Now parents, I need to say from the outset that this is a sensitive topic. But I'm going to deal with it as discreetly as possible. We also need to know from the outset that that the God of the Bible is not approved. That God designed men and women, that human anatomy is no surprise to him and that he gave intimate relations to men and women as a good gift to be enjoyed in the context of a monogamous, heterosexual, lifelong union in marriage. And so the problem here is not a problem with sexual intimacy itself, the problem is that of sexual immorality. Sexual intimacy is not the problem. It is sex outside of marriage. It is sexual immorality. It is, it is, as we'll talk about, it is any form of sexual expression beyond the bounds of marriage that is what sexual immorality is. In verses five, chapter 5, verses 3 to 4, Paul says, "...but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints, He goes on, let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place. There are six sins that Paul lists here. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking. And they all fall under the category of sexual immorality in this context. And they include immorality in action and attitude and speech. Attitude, action, and speech. This this first term that's translated here, sexual immorality, comes from the Greek word cornea. Now I'm sure that word sounds familiar to you, cornea. It's something that has become a regular um, word in, in our culture, shockingly. It's become a, a word that has become just just so common in our, our common usage. And it's because it, it's The word pornea is the root for which we get the word pornography, which means literally the depiction of sexual immorality. That's what pornography is, the depiction of sexual immorality. And so the word pornea, though, refers broadly to to sexual immorality in any form, of sexual immorality of any kind. It is any sexual expression outside of God's sanctioned Impurity then, in this context, refers to to a a general defilement of the personality, adhered through sexual sin. This is the same way that that Paul used the word in Galatians 4.19, that the unbelieving Gentiles have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. He's saying that's what what unbelievers walk like. May Christians never walk like that. May Christians not be known as those who are impure. But in case you're feeling a little self-righteous about this, we need to remember, and and you're thinking that, well, I don't struggle with that. That that you can also think of this more broadly. That 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 Paul says it's it's all impurity, every form, every form of impurity. Then covetousness. Now again, covetousness generally refers to what we talked to about the kids. It's it's greed. It's 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 wanting to get more stuff, particularly wanting your your neighbor's stuff. But in this context, again, it's linked to sexual immorality. It's it's desiring someone else's spouse. It's desiring somebody that is not your husband or wife, and so it breaks the tenth commandment. It's you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Exodus twenty seventeen and. It, for women, thou shalt not, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's husband. So we, we could think of the the man who compares his wife's looks or character to to somebody else, to another man's wife, or to somebody he's not married to, or or the woman who compares the sensitivity and spiritual leadership of a man that she's not married to with her husband. But again, in case you're feeling self righteous about this, it, it's not just. It's not just the indulgence of sexual temptation. It's, it's not just covetousness specifically here that, that the Lord is commanding that we, that we avoid. It is all covetousness. Covetousness is ruthless greed because it's, it's a selfish indulgence at the expense of others. It's, it, Paul says later that, that covetousness is idolatry. It's wanting something and really worshipping something above the worship of God. Paul says that these sins should not even be named among you. That he saying that, that they aren't even acceptable topics of conversation among God's people. A few verses later, in Ephesians 5.12, he says, "...it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret." It's shameful to even speak about these things. Because thinking about them and talking about them can cause that sin to spread. So don't even talk about these things. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't talk to somebody if you're, if you're failing, if you're struggling in this area. We'll talk about this more later on, but, but if you are failing in this area, you must talk to somebody about it. You must talk to somebody about it. You, if, if you do not deal with this, and if you do not, to, if you do not seek help, then, then you're showing that you really want that sin more than you want to worship God. verse 4, Paul continues to discuss vulgar speech. He, 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 these three words here are describing talking. Filthiness means to speak in defiance of moral standards. It's obscenity. And it's, it's disgraceful. Again, this should not be, be the, the, the type of words that, that are on the mouths of Christians. Colossians 3.8, Paul says, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk, from your mouth. That's the same word that's translated here as filthiness. He also says that foolish talk, that the kind of, of talk you'd hear from a drunk in a bar. This, this should never be the kind of conversation that, that Christians engage in. It's a it's kind of, of conversation that, words that have neither sense nor profit. Also crude joking. It involves vulgar expressions and indecent content, and and how many times have have you heard people, even Christians, telling dirty jokes? You know, and and I would say that that if somebody is telling a dirty joke and you laugh at it, you're partaking in their evil deeds that, that don't laugh at that joke. They're all out of place. They have no place among the people of God. Beloved, sexual immorality in all its forms is poison in the church. It destroys marriages. It degrades relationships so that men and women are unable to relate to one another as brothers and sisters. It buries men and women under such heaps of guilt that they, don't, or that they are not able to use their spiritual gifts. Paul's focus here is, it continues to be, on the unity of the church. He's been talking about the way that the body builds itself up in love. And just prior to this, in, in verse 2, he has just exhorted the church to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And now from those glorious, exalted heights become crashing Down, not just to earth, but to the filthy pit of sexual immorality. Sexual immorality in any form is the express opposite of Christ-like love. Christ-like love is God-centered. Sexual immorality is flesh-centered. Christ-like love gives. Sexual immorality takes. Christ-like love is sacrificial. Sexual immorality is, is selfish like love edifies sexual immorality destroys Christlike like love exalts and sexual immorality debases it's the opposite of the love of Christ and one of the many problems with sexual immorality is that it takes something that God that takes something that God has made as good God made Sexual intimacy in marriage and gave it as a good gift, but is taking that good gift that comes from God and is perverting it, it is corrupting it, and it's using other people for our own gratification and using God's good gift as a weapon of rebellion against Him. That's what sexual immorality is it is nothing but that. Scriptures are full of admonitions against sexual morality. We have the seventh commandment: "You shall not commit adultery." Exodus twenty fourteen. We have the, the negative examples of Samson and David and Solomon, to name a few. We have Proverbs five, that was read for us earlier. Just uh, let me read a, a few verses of that. <clears throat> verses three to five. For the whip, for the, the lips. Of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end she is bitter as wormwood and sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow to the path of Sheol. And women, the forbidden man is the same to you. 1 Corinthians 6.18 Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside the body, but sexual immorality. but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Colossians 3 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Again, the picture here. The scriptures are very clear. This is throughout the Bible because this is such a big problem. It was a huge problem in Ephesus, and it is an equally huge problem in our culture today. You can't even drive down the street without seeing some billboard that is sexually immoral. Galatians 5, 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. And, and 1 Thessalonians 3, but this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And just in case you're, you're thinking here, that just talking about the outward sin, that's, that's not the case. It's not just physical involvement with someone that you aren't married to that that is considered sexual morality. Think about the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 5.28. He said that if you look at a woman with with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart. He's saying the seventh commandment is not just just that you shall not have physical relations, but that you shall not have physical relations in in your heart and your mind with somebody who is not your husband or wife. And this clearly includes the issue of pornography as well. You know, as I, as I consider the statistics on this, it's, it's shocking just, just how much this is spread. And they keep having to publish new statistics annually because the problem is growing so prevalent. Do you know that 70% of men and 30% of women watch pornography? Men and women. 35% of all data transferred across the internet is pornographic. It is a $13 billion industry. If you think that, that it's, it's going to, for single people, if you think it's going to get better when you get married, think again. If you don't deal with it before you get married, it will plague your marriage. And pornography use, increases marital unfaithfulness by more than 300%. Don't ever think that you can satisfy lust. Lust is a monster. If you feed it, it will grow. Lust is never satisfied and it it aims at the most vile expressions. A person who indulges in in sexual immorality or pornography will, will, will rapidly go from image to image feeding their lust like a drug addict who is no longer satisfied and moves on to harder drugs they become desensitized and find themselves going from softer forms of pornography to those that are more graphic. If it is not dealt with, then lust won't stop there either. I know four individuals, each in quite different circumstances, whose unrestrained appetites for, for pornography took them places that they never thought that they would go. Two of them engaged in sexual activity that is illegal and now have criminal records. These are men that i know known in church. The third committed adultery and, and helped to destroy a marriage. And the fourth helped turn a young lady away from the faith. This is what sexual immorality does. Now, none of these individuals would have ever thought that this is where their sin would lead. None of them ever started out there thinking, this is, this is what's going to happen. But again, it, it aimed, lust aims at its most vile expression. It gets worse as, it, as you become entrapped and ensnared in it. As bad as the, the bondage to pornography it was in, in, these, in these individuals' lives, lives and as though it, it, it caused destruction to all those around them, that their spiritual state is the, is the worst part of, of all of this. Do you think that your pornography is only hurting you? Husbands, what about your wife? What about the woman whose body you are lusting after? Even those who don't know what you're doing are negatively affected. The, the, the women that you objectify, that you're no longer able to, to look at a, at, a, at a woman as, a, as a, someone who's made in the image of God and, and somebody to, to be respected, you, you treat them as an object of your own perverted gratification. This is what... Lust does. It, it, it's church members are also robbed of real spiritual input as, as people build walls around themselves to protect their, their, themselves and their sin. And they never actually get involved in church life. What they do, it is, it is only with, with barriers. So who, who then is particularly vulnerable to temptation... Those who are frequently away from home overnight on business. Those who spend lots of time alone with little accountability. Those who have a history of bondage to alcohol or drugs. Those who spend time alone with the opposite sex. Those in dating relationships. Men. Women. I think that covers everybody. Women are not immune from sexual immorality. We we saw that earlier with that statistic. 70% of men use pornography, and 30% of women, and the gap is is closing. Last I heard, it was was several years ago when I heard a statistic, it was 20%, and now it's 30%. I I was shocked then, I'm even more shocked now. But, But men tend to be more tempted visually, and women tend to be more tempted emotionally. Women, that's why you need to be careful with romance novels, even so-called Christian romance novels. They can be very, very dangerous and can cause your mind to go places that it is not meant to go. These statistics that we're talking about with the sexual morality are, are, are shocking, but don't make the mistake of thinking that they're just out there. The statistics in in the visible church are are very close to those, uh, those who do not claim to be Christian. And it would be foolish for us to consider, or fail to consider, that this is a problem in our own church. Brothers and sisters, this is a battle to the death. It's a battle to the death and we need to help each other in the fight. If you are struggling struggling in this area, like I said earlier, get help. Get help. I would be happy to talk to you and to walk through some resources with you that can help you to overcome this sin. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another, that you may be healed. And we used to be involved in, in Narcotics Anonymous, narcotics, 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 it would say that, they would say that, that that mushrooms grow in the dark. They grow in the dark and they grow in filth. But when you open the door or the, and the windows and let the light in, then it kills the fungus. The same is true of, of sexual morality. When you let the light in, when you let the light of fellowship in, then it will help you to overcome. Talk to somebody who can help you, but, but, but don't talk to somebody who's still in bondage. Talk to somebody who is, is walking in victory and is, is able to, to help offer biblical guidance. Husbands and wives, you need to talk about this. You need to talk about this with each other, and you need to talk about this with your children. Men, you need to talk to other men. Women, you need to talk to other women. The Bible the spirit and prayer and Christian community are God's primary means of helping you to fight this sin in your life. So again, we're to put off sexual immorality in all its forms, but you know, you've you've been going through these these series a while, put off, put on, you know that doesn't stop there. Paul is going to tell us what we have to put on in its place, and he says, put on thanksgiving. Look at the end of verse four. It says, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Now, we all know that we're supposed to be thankful, right? At least I hope we do. Ephesians 5.20, give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians 2.6-7, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. But what does thanksgiving have to do with putting off sexual immorality? Well, listen to commentator J. L. Holman. He says, Whereas sexual impurity and covetousness both express self-centered self-centered greed. Thanksgiving is the exact opposite. And so the antidote required is the recognition of God's generosity. The antidote required is the recognition of God's generosity. And so it starts with Thanksgiving for your salvation. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to to remember all of the blessings that we've received in Christ. And thanksgiving is the natural and only appropriate response for those who've been redeemed. And when your heart and your mind are are focused on all that you've received in Christ, it becomes exceedingly difficult to engage in any form of sexual immorality. It's, It's very difficult to be Covetousness to be covetous when you are thankful for what you have received from God. Remember, you do not deserve anything good from God. You deserve hell. And anything that you get that is better than hell is a a huge blessing. We have received so much in Christ, we've received Christ Himself and all the attendant blessings with our salvation. Now, if there is something that that you feel that you need, go to your Heavenly Father and ask Him. So we said to the kids, He is the Father of life, with whom there is no variation or shadow of change. He is a faithful Heavenly Father. But you also need to examine your motives. If you don't receive what you're asking for, it might be because you are asking wrongly to consume it on your passions. James 4.3 If there is something that your heavenly Father is withholding, it is with a good reason. Because, brothers and sisters, He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How we not also with Him graciously give us all things? He gave His Son for us. He's for us. If there's something that is that God thinks that is it's good for you to have, be assured, he will give it to you. We need to be thankful for all that we've received in Christ, but there is a specific area of thanksgiving that I think Paul wants us to cultivate and to enlist in the fight against sexual immorality. Thanksgiving for marriage. Thanksgiving for marriage. But before we go there, for, for those of you who are not married, I, I want you to see how Thanksgiving will help you too. This is something that was very close. To, it's something that was and is very close to my heart. I was single for many years. I didn't meet Jane until I was 42, and I struggled with contentment until I began to see the importance of Thanksgiving of being thankful for all that I received in Christ. Now. I didn't think that I had received the gift of singleness that, that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7 or, or that our Lord talks about in Matthew 19.11. I, I didn't think I had received the, the quote-unquote gift of singleness. But I began to realize that, that for that day, I was given the gift of singleness. That I have been given the gift of singleness for that day to serve God as a, as a single man in a way that I could, that I wouldn't be able to once I got married. Now, I'm married now, so obviously I didn't have... the the long-term gift of singleness, but but beginning to change my thinking and to see my my time as a single man as a way to to serve God and as a way also to prepare for marriage if that's what indeed God had for me, it helped me to, to be thankful and it helped me to grow and be sanctified. So singles, are you using your singleness as an opportunity to serve God, or instead are you are you wasting your singleness on selfishness? And that's true whether whether you you're not yet married or you have been married. We have have widows and widowers in our church, many of whom are, are using their singleness to serve God, it, it, and it's it's helping them to find to be able to to grow. It's helping them to, to be able to 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 take comfort, and and they find that not that that, that a church can can f- that can fill the, the, the void that has been left by by a spouse who's who's, who's left you who's departed um, to, to go be with the Lord, but but the church begins to to grow as your family as you invest yourself in the, the congregation. So again, this is if you if you. If you are single or, or are single again, this, is, this putting on thankfulness is a way that you can grow, and a way that you can find comfort, and a way that you can avoid sexual immorality. And now speaking to those who are married. Husbands and wives, can you remember your wedding day? Can you remember when the the preacher said, I now pronounce you man and wife, and and you walked or or floated back down that aisle? So thankful for the the person that God had given you, the covenant of marriage, to, to enjoy life together with. Can you remember that moment? Are you still as thankful today as you were on that day? And we have to realize that there's there's a a battle going on for our hearts and minds that that, that quite often we're not, that that, that life can become an enemy of thankfulness for our husbands and wives. Whether it's it's marital strife or or whether it's just busyness or or even just a a lack of of effort in in maintaining the the joy of your marriage, that that quite often we we can cease to be thankful. But do you realize that apart from the gifts that are connected with your salvation, that the person that you are married to is the greatest gift that God will give you in this life? The greatest gift that God will give you in this life. Now for those again who are, who are, are not married and have not been married, God has another gift for you. <coughs> Here's another gift for you, and it's, and it's something that is, is beautiful and something you will be, begin to understand as you grow in thankfulness. But, but if, we, if we cease to be thankful for any gift that we've received from God, we're forgetting who the giver is. The ultimate value of a gift is actually not in the gift itself, but it is in the giver. And so whether it's, it's a gift of singleness, or whether it's a gift of marriage, we, we need to remember that the giver is God himself. In His love and His wisdom and His sovereignty, He has given you the good gift that He has for you in your life. So thankfulness to the Lord for your marriage or, or for your singleness is a major means to help you to overcome sexual immorality. And, and I've seen the opposite happen quite often. I've seen that, that when that, that a lack of... of thanksgiving in in either of those, and specifically speaking here of marriage, that a lack of thanksgiving in marriage, I've seen it again and again, lead to sexual immorality. When the realities of being married to an imperfect person, when the reality of being married to a sinner begins to weigh you down, you will be tempted to compare your spouse with someone else and you are on the wrong road. You need to make an immediate U-turn because the road that you are on leads to death. That's what Proverbs 5 is saying for us as we read earlier in the call to worship. If you could just turn with me there in your Bible please to Proverbs chapter 5. We'll take a quick look at this. So here we have the, the words of, of Solomon boarding his son. This is, Solomon went down that road. And he knows where it, where it went for him. But in verses 1 to 6, he's talking about the bait. The bait is this is this adulterous woman. It says her, her her lips drip honey her speech is smoother than oil. It's the trap, and I've, I've used this analogy before that that you know, for a For for a a bear trap in the woods, and there's that, you know, those claw traps. If there's a piece of meat on that trap, no matter how hungry that bear is, and no matter how good that meat looks, a trap is still a trap. And if the bear goes for the bait, he's a dead bear. (laughs) Men and women, the same is true for you. If you follow after the trap of sexual immorality, of of a person, the forbidden person, man or woman, it leads to death, it leads to death, her feet go down to death and her steps follow the path, the shield, the grave. In verses 7 to 14, he he warns his son, he says, run the other way, he says, don't even go near her, depart from the words of her mouth, stay away from her door, don't even go near the door of her house, avoid her altogether otherwise you will end up in the, on the brink of utter ruin. Verse 14. If you look at verses 15 to 19, this is where he's talking about the thanksgiving. He says, Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Be thankful. Men, be thankful for the, women, for the woman that, that God has given you. Women, be thankful for the man that, that God has given you. Rejoice. Rejoice in, in all of the blessings that, that God has given you in, in marriage, even intimacy in marriage. Be thankful for what God has given you. Verses 20 to 23 says, Why be intoxicated by a forbidden The Lord sees it all, and in the end it leads to death. So put off sexual immorality and put on Thanksgiving. And then that takes us to the why, just just quickly. Paul's telling us here why you must put off sexual immorality and put on Thanksgiving. Verses 5 and 6. You may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. So so he he gives here the same list that he did in verse three sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. It's the same things that he's talking about. He gives two warnings. First he says they have no inheritance in the kingdom. This issue of inheritance is something that that Paul had talked about in chapter 1, verses 14 and 18, that the saints have an eternal inheritance, and the Holy Spirit is the seal of our inheritance. So as Christians, we have an eternal inheritance, but unregenerate unregenerate sinners do not. The inheritance is is not theirs. And so if this is not just something in the future. This is not just an inheritance that we'll have down the road when the Lord returns or when we die. This is something that we have now. We have already received the, the first fruits of this inheritance. We have it now, but those who, are, those who are not Christians do not have it now. And they will not have it unless they repent. But the contrast here is between heaven and hell. We have no inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and God. And, and this here is saying that the, the kingdom belongs to God. And those who are unrepentant sinners have no place in the kingdom of God. The second warning is that of the wrath of God. He says, you already know this. Don't let anybody convince you otherwise. Don't try to convince yourself Otherwise, First Corinthians 6.9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor drunkards, and so on, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5.21, we talked about earlier, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, and so, this, this means that, again, this is not just in the future, this is also now. To the second morning because of the wrath of God. The wrath of God is already on the sons of disobedience, he says here. Now again, there's a sense in the already and not yet, that they have not fully experienced the wrath of God. That will not happen until the final judgment. But, those who are involved in unrepentant sexual immorality are already under the wrath of God. Earlier I quoted Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verses 27 to 30. He says, if you committed adultery, if you sort of looked at a woman lustfully, you committed adultery in your heart. The same goes for women with men. How does Jesus say to respond? He says, cut off your hands and gouge out your eyes. Now he's not saying this literally, he's speaking this hyperbole. He's saying that that you need to go whatever length, to whatever length is necessary to overcome this sin in your life. And he says, why? Because it is better to lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. This is a fight to the death. Like John Owen said, I've quoted him before, I'll quote him again be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Now, I do need to be careful here. We are not talking about perfection. We're not talking about perfection. The only one who perfectly obeyed the commandment of you shall not commit adultery is Jesus himself. Every single human being besides Jesus has committed adultery in their heart, and many even with their body. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about those whose lives are characterized by unrepentant sin. They are the sons of disobedience. They are the sons of disobedience. They are not the children of God. That's what what Paul's been saying, is that that, that as, as a believer, your life needs to look like somebody who belongs to God, like somebody who is living for God, for His holiness, not for the things of the world, not for the things that you used to live for. And so passages like this become a means of grace. They become an opportunity for you to repent. They become an opportunity and a catalyst for you to seek help when you see just how serious this battle is. So if you are a child of God, be thankful. Be thankful. If you are not a child of God, come to God with a heart of repentance and faith and receive the new birth and you will find grace for your forgiveness, and you will find grace for your sanctification as well as the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and helps you to overcome those sins that you are currently in bondage to. And you then will be able to thank God for all that He's done for you in Christ. You'll be able to be thankful for all that He has given you in Christ. You'll be able to be thankful that, that, that you have anything better than eternal hellfire, because you know that that is what you deserve for your sin. Married men, be thankful for the wife that God has given you. Married women, be thankful for the husband that God has given you. Single men and single women, be thankful for the forgiveness that you have for your sins. Be thankful also for, for the singleness that God has given you to be used as a gift for the building of the church. Beloved, we all need to flee sexual immorality. We need to put it off. We need to put on thankfulness. Because it is a fight for our very lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. I for the challenge that it brings, but also for the encouragement that it brings. Lord that that we are those who have been born again we are those who have been filled with the Holy Spirit we are those who are now walking in the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome the sin that once ensnared us and Lord I thank you that that so many of us here who who have been in bondage to to sexual immorality and and all forms of other sin have been set free Lord I pray that, that you would build up this body that you would use this church, help us to build each other up in love and to fight for each other. Help us to pray to pray to you for each other in this fight. Lord, I pray that, that you would help us to grow together. That we might be a reflection of the love that is, is within the Godhead itself. For your name to be exalted amongst us. We pray this in Jesus' name. I made it.